Tyler, you and I usually are not great at like holding back when it comes to movies. Mm hmm. And by that, I mean, like, when something in the movie world happens, you and I are usually on each other pretty quick. But I got to give us credit where credit's due. We have held back for a week in both text, talk, and doing this podcast on being able to talk about what was the end of the Academy Awards. What was the end of the Academy Awards? Chaos magic is the way I would put it. It's like it's like someone was like, "Hey, we need to one up the Moonlight ending," and they're like, uh, "I got, I got it. You got to <laughs> don't <me> worry." <laughs> well, you know what? We're gonna go through your guesses though, and we're gonna we're gonna look a week later. We're gonna open up the little week long time uh, time capsule, and we're gonna see. And uh, let's start with animated feature. You guessed Soul, and unfortunately. Soul did win. So, you know, I was right. I was right. Yeah, you were right. I'll say in your second guess for international film, I didn't think it was going to win, but I was stoked it did another round one. Yeah. I'm, you know, <laughs> two for two. I feel like I did pretty good. Overall. I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll have to keep going to find out for Original screenplay, you picked Promising Young Woman just barely, but you did get it right. It was Promising Young Woman. <laughs> For adapted screenplay, you picked Nomadland, and here's your first uh, buzzer noise. <laughs> it went to the father. I did, however, say that I thought that the father, that this is yes. where the father would pick up a win. Yes. Um, yes and I was did. right. I was, I was wrong in the end, and we'll get to it, but I was oh, right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Next up for supporting actor, you said Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, and that was a foregone conclusion. I mean, three out of four ain't bad, right? Four out of five ain't bad, actually. Uh, you're doing pretty well. Here's where it starts to stumble a little bit. Supporting a little actress, bit. you picked Glenn Close, and a little bit. Nope. <laughs> the grandmother from Minari came in and just laid a kendo stick across the back of Glenn Close's head. Glenn Close the, just keeps uh, walking, like stumbling forward and just taking uh, just full strength chair shots to the face. I say this with as much respect to Glenn Close as I can, but what they did to her on Sunday, which I don't know if you watched any of it. No. She loses supporting actress. She loses it. And then, like an hour and a half later into the broadcast... They do one of the most painful segments I've seen since Ellen DeGeneres took a selfie with everybody, where Laurel walked around and him and Questlove played a piece of music from a movie. And they asked someone in the audience, is it Oscar nominated, Oscar winning, or was never nominated? Which could be fun, yes, but they obviously either didn't talk this out with people ahead of time or... I don't know what, because they first went to Andrea Day and they played Purple Rain. And then Andrea Day said something that they had to bleep for 45 seconds, which I can only assume was an insult towards the Academy. <laughs> then they went to Glenn Close, who they made stand up and do the butt dance and like kind of just embarrassed and it's like you just got told no for like the seventh time as an oscar nominee and you're doing this shit for them i would be like no you go to someone else unless you guarantee me hillbilly elegy 
I I'm gonna say this right off the top of the dome. Uh, the gif of, I haven't seen I have not seen the Oscars because I don't care. But the gif of Glenn Close doing the butt is the best thing I've ever seen. It's not. It's embarrassing. She's better than that. She should have a fucking Oscar by now, and it should be for at least three different things that aren't hillbilly elegy. Fuck it. I'll I say it. the wife is way better. I disagree. You disagree? What? I disagree. It's cute. I think it's cute. Eh. Nah. For director, you were dead on. You said Chloe Zhao. I mean, you must be stoked. Ew. Zhao. 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 That was me in my apartment. Or that was Zhao. me at work when I. Zhao. When I, Chloe fucking Zhao. And then we moved on to picture. And you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. What about actress and actor? Oh, oh, we'll get there. Oh, you wait. You wait a minute. Picture, you said Nomadland, and you were 100% correct. Got him. You did pretty well, considering. I think your only real stumble was close and adapted screenplay, so you actually did pretty damn well. Well. And then, well, you said for <laughs> actress, you said Francis, and hey, she's Francis for Oscars. <laughs> oh, right, because she won for, because uh, she produced Nomadland. Yeah. It's right. Yeah, she did. For for a second, I was like, I I'm wrong, I guess. And then they would close out the show by doing best actor. And I remember I was sitting there. It was me, my lovely girlfriend, Brianna, my parents, Bill and Denise, my sister, Bethany and her boyfriend, Jordan. And they said, that's weird. They're burning best picture before the end. I said, no, I see what they're doing. And they were like, what are they doing? I'm like, they are doing Best Actor last because Chadwick Boseman is going to win and it's going to end it on a really high note. And I now take you to the clip of Joaquin Phoenix announcing Best Actor and we'll come in after that. I think the only thing that I can say with sincerity is that when I uh, watch these five performances, I feel inspired and it's a shame that we have to choose just one. So the nominees for actor are Anthony Hopkins, the father. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Gary Oldman, Mank. And the Academy Award for Actor goes to Anthony Hopkins, the father. The Academy congratulates Anthony Hopkins and accepts the Oscar on his behalf. Thank you. They fucking gave it to Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) How... <laughs> Do you think there was anybody that knew it was no going to be Anthony checked. Hopkins? No one looked! You fucking morons! You fucking idiots! You fucking did this already with the Moonlight debacle! Just open them! Just open them! Have Steven Soderbergh open all of them, and that way he would have known, so as the guy who was kind of producing the show could have said, we should really finish with Nomadland, because... When you close the show with Joaquin Phoenix's 
very talented, but awkward ass up there. And he says, Anthony Hopkins for the father. Anthony Hopkins is not here. We accept in lieu of, of the award. Credits. That doesn't look as good. You fucking morons. It's not a not a good not a good ending. Not a good ending at all. <laughs> not a, not a good way to go out. It's not the way you want it to go. I was embarrassed for them. Oh, it, I wasn't. <laughs> oh my god! It I was, was like you deserve this. It was so heartbreakingly annoying. I was like, "What are you doing? What are you thinking? This is wrong." But you know what? We get to go on. We get to go in on some positive mo- moments, though, because we for the first time are going to hear the new theme music for the season. We say to, bye to Gabe Hilton's music and we turn our attentions to the new sounds of No Budsy. So this is the next year's theme song, Tyler. Okay. End of your movie. Now you want more. Now you want more. all your insides I love it. It reminds me of something I would listen to in high school. They'll be hearing that every week. And it's, yeah, it, you know what? It does sound like something we would listen to in high school, doesn't it? Something I would specifically listen to in high school. Why is that? I just, it sounds very like post uh, NES wave, like a Amaguchi B side or like a crying b-side you know it's got a perfect theme song first of all but the outro part this right here that's gonna close out every episode so perfectly it's very good i like that yeah oh well i guess we can go in well no i guess the that'll the music will play and then we'll hmm, how do we do that we played the music I think what we do is we come in with me going, that's that's a good track. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the violent streets of Japan to the horrifying <laughs> streets of Japan. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. Of course you are. Of course you are. Because no one else would have picked these movies. Which is funny because I actually knew about both of these movies without knowing about them. You did. I had a revelation this week. I had a revelation that if I had hung out with certain people at certain times and gotten more into the stuff they were trying to show me, you and I might have similar tastes. So, because I was aware of both of these movies, and I've seen stuff by Takeshi Kitano before, but I had never actually seen Violent Cop, but I know parts of it. No, you know parts of it. Yes, like I, I've seen like I've seen like sequences of it in stuff that I just wasn't aware. Ah, uh, yes. But hi, 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 hi. You guys ask yourselves, why are you changing the music? We all love the Gabe, the Gabe Hilton music. It's like, yeah, we love the Gabe Hilton music too, but it's a new year. And before we get to these first movies, we got to talk about the most captivating thing. This is the first most captivating thing you've seen all year. In the start of our new, in the start of the third year of our show. 
much like the Chinese New Year, it's the start of the TWGTF New Year, which starts in the first week of May. Is that how well, it works? Well, you know, to quote to quote Martin Sheen in the movie The Departed, we'll probably be at war with the Chinese in 20-odd years anyways. I like to look on the positive side. I'll probably be working for the Chinese in 20-odd years. So, you know, honestly speaking, like, yeah, but, like, let's at least make nice with them and start celebrating their New Year. Can I be right? I mean, well, we already do celebrate their New Year. I mean, like, go to a casino around <laughs> February 1st. It's all Chinese true. New Year stuff. Which is cool. I think it's great. Good right now for hopping on the bandwagon. But yeah, the Chinese New Year that's in February. Our New Year is in May. And should we address the light bit of burning down of the movie store? Or oh, that's just gonna that's, uh... ride it out. No, no. Now we just look, guys. We decided. You know what? It was a lot of space for us. That's all I'm gonna say. It was a lot of space. But that being said, at your local convenience store, we have bought ourselves a TWGTF box. We only have one, but you come there and we're hanging out next to it because, you know, I don't trust that people aren't going to try to break into it. And also, like, I don't trust my movies there without me being there. So you come there, you punch in the screen and we'll talk to you about what we have there. And that's how it's going to work for the next year. Yeah, basically, you just say, hey, I want something from the box. And then one of us pops out. We work. We're working 12 hour shifts. It's not great. It is true. Like, like there is real talk of putting the engagement on hold from Naomi with the way he's working his hours. <laughs> what was the most captivating thing you saw this week? I watched a little movie by Ang Lee called Lust Caution. It's kind I of also him. Watched a very erotic movie this week. I mean, you can call it erotic. Well, you know what I mean. Like a movie that is like supposed to push sexual boundaries. I mean, we did. We both did for the podcast. Kind I'm, ta- of I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about those movies. We'll get to those movies. <laughs> anyway, Lust Caution is a lot longer than I expect it to be, and it's also real good. Yeah, real good. It's like two and a half hours, right? Isn't it like two, super long? Two and a half hours, and there's some real, real intense sex scenes. You do see the back of someone's balls. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna throw in the line from Knocked Up here. They ought to call her Harry, not Sally, if you know what I mean. Nothing, really. I don't laugh for Judd Apatow anymore. <laughs> what did he do to you? Exists. Wow, really? He helped produce Freaks and Geeks and uh, the fucking other show that I really like. Undeclared. Um, undeclared. So, like, he can't be all bad, but, like, I don't know. He, recently, he's been real fucking annoying. Now, to be fair, Sir, and I don't want to attack you before we get to it. There is a movie tonight that is it seems you really seem to like the person who made it. That person's going to have to be writing a letter as well. If you want to get on Judd Apatow's nuts about trying to live the Albert Brooks life and kind of taking like kind of like trying to have talented Mr. Ripley him. I mean, James L. Brooks, James L. Brooks, excuse me, Albert Brooks. Yeah, if you want to get on Judd Apatow's nuts about trying to have talented Mr. Ripley, James L. Brooks's career, you're going to have to talk to someone else tonight, too. At least for the start of his career, because we're going to have to talk about that. So you liked Lust Caution? I like Lust Caution. It's good. I don't yeah, really want to say anything about it, because there's like it's just like so long, and I think people should go watch it. And I don't think I've actually seen it. It's good. You know what? That is one of the options to rent out a theater tonight for. I'm going to change across the universe to that. <laughs> Could you imagine 
She, by the way, she has no idea. I, it's day, it's, we are celebrating five months today. By the way, Brianna, if you are hearing this, and I hope you are, I love you. Happy five month anniversary. She's never been to the Stonehouse Cafe, and she's always wanted to go. So we're going to that tonight. And after that, we are going to watch a movie. She does not know this. Her favorite movie is Across the Universe. You can do Across the Universe as a private showing. Hmm. So she has no idea what she's walking into tonight. You can do less cautions, private showing. No, no, I was joking about that. I just think God, that's I was very. Like, who I just would think you, that's who... such a funny idea to like be like, be like, okay, okay. What is lust caution? Just gonna take a flyer on lust. Ca- oh God, that is the back of Tony Long's balls. That's right. You do see Tony Long's balls, don't you? Do you see Tony Long's balls or do see, a ball? Do you see, do you see his Chunking Express? You don't. You see, mm, there are scene. There is a scene where you see like a part of it. Nice. See, like the, sh- the 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 back of the shaft. Wild. I've definitely seen scenes from Lust Caution, but I don't think I've seen the movie overall. Ang Lee, good, right? Ang Lee, yeah. Was this the follow up to Brokeback Mountain? It's the follow up to Brokeback Mountain. It's like I'm cashing my chips in on a sexy spy thriller shot, all in Cantonese and Chinese, and a little bit. You think of Ang Lee doesn't know about pussy? Hold on a sec. <laughs> Oh, I think England knows about pussy. Show him, show him lust caution. <laughs> I just feel like after he wins the award, like he just comes back like super dark. He's like, he goes, everyone says, everyone says I can't direct straight sex. I'll show them. I'll show them what's up. And I've seen, I've seen, uh, is it Pride and Prejudice? Is there straight sex and Pride and Prejudice? No, no, no. no. There's not, but I'm just saying, like. No, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility. A movie that has been a best of the week on our show. It has been a best of the week on the show. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. It was a co-best of the week with the movie Hobbs and Shaw, which I saw for my birthday that week. So, Co-best of the week with a movie called Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, a movie that does not deserve to be a best of the week with Sense and Sensibility. But at the time, I was like, you know what? It was my birthday week. Fuck you. A movie that doesn't exist. It's very true. Well... You know, I don't want to keep piling on, but as you can see, I am already standing on the top rope, so I might as well pile on. The best thing I saw this week took place about an hour and a half before the Oscars, and it was called The Father. The Fasha. Dude, he deserved to win. The Fasha. I'm going to be one of those people, and I will... Go ahead, guys. Send the emails, send the tweets, do whatever you want, whoever hears this. I don't care what you have to say. Chadwick Boseman is very, very, very good in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I really want to say that up front. I think he's wonderful. Should he have won? I mean, you could argue there's an argument to say why he could have won and why he should have won. Anthony Hopkins may have put on, like, the second best performance he's ever given behind the obvious first win that he gets for Sans Lemps. But you could also argue that, like, this is maybe better than Silence of the Lambs as a performance in that this has a lot more of, like, him actually having to try to, like, act as opposed to, like, kind of just work big moments around him. Whereas, like, he's kind of just this, like, force in Silence of the Lambs. He almost has to be not there in this movie because this movie and trust me this is coming from someone who saw someone go through it this movie is about a man who is losing the control of his mind and it's not only a very well done movie that as a performance 
the script is whip smart and totally deserved to win for best adapted screenplay. It's an incredible magic trick that they pull because you as an audience member are thrown into his position where you are not 100% sure of the ideas that you are seeing and what is real and what is not. I'm fascinated to watch it. I think it's the You one really of, should. I think it's the movie coming out of the Oscars I want to watch the most. Um, it's like that and Minari. Yeah, are like kind of up there. Those are the two I really want to get my hands on. I'm excited to see because apparently he's adapting another one of his plays called The Sun, and he's going to do like a whole like family cycle. Apparently, oh, that's dope. Which is interesting. What is the director's so, yeah. name? He's a French director, Florian Zeller. I just would love if Florian Zeller came out like next week, or he's like, I'm doing The Sun next, and they're like, they're like, oh, what's that about? He goes. Doesn't matter. I'm going to deny another one of your American heroes an Oscar next year. <laughs> and he's like, what does that mean? He goes, don't worry about it. He just starts like a European faction of taking Oscars. That's what I'd like this Florian Zeller guy to be. Yeah. He also has a play called The Mother, which I Fuck think is yes. what he wants to do after the father, after the son. 2022, three days after the Oscars, he's just brought, who's a British actor, he's just brought Benedict Cumberbatch to the dance to win an Oscar to beat out another American. And he goes, Meryl Streep, bring it next year. I'm coming with some mother. <laughs> just keeps challenging American actors. Doesn't have a uh, filmography on this for some goddamn reason. Oh, Florian Zeller. Yeah, yeah, he... Dude, it, dude, it's good. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, she cried at it, like, four times. I mean, excited to cry at it. Apparently, the son is uh, currently attached with Hugh Jackman and Laura Dern. I mean, I'm in. I love Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman finally getting that Oscar. Calling it you know out. what I? You know what I saw actually of Hugh Jackman's that I kind of was more into than I thought I was going to be. Wolverine, the one in uh, Japan. No, that one is just B A D bad. Oof. Woof. No, I, we watched like 30 minutes of The Greatest Showman the other night because she was like, you've never seen it. I was like, I was like, no, no, it's OK. It's kind of fun. Like, it's, it's like, a, no, it's like a big, dumb musical. It, it's not like I'm going to remember this forever. But you're like, you know, what? this is kind of cute. You can see why Hugh Jackman wanted to do this for a long time. It plays to all of his strengths. Like, it's cute. Like, I'm not I haven't finished it, but it's like it was cute for the little part I saw. Sorry, I'm just shaking my head. You can shake your head all you want. I had no problems with it up to the point where I saw. Fuck. You get out of here. What are you dropping over there? Did you just roll a D20? No, I did not just roll a D20. That's what it fucking sounded like, buddy. Rolled a D2. The Mighty Ducks are back. Mighty Ducks are back. But yeah, I would honestly say, like, see the father. It's like, it's really worth your time. And guys, it, I would agree with Tyler. It is the movie out of the Oscars that I think everyone should see. It's just the way they write it. It's incredibly well constructed. It looks good from what I've seen. Everyone's like, you should watch the father. It's really good. That's what I saw on, on Twitter, like a bunch. So I'm like, I guess I'm fucking watch it. It's also given me a new Anthony Hopkins impression, <laughs> which oh, no. she does not like. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's upsetting. Let me just say, I tap into what he's trying to do in that movie. Could it also secretly be a Ronald Reagan impression? <laughs> no, because I think Reagan was aware of everything he was doing. I think that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Now, Biden, on the other hand, what up, 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 uh, on to our main event. All right. Main event time. 
All right, we're gonna go. By the way, we're gonna go violent cop, and then we're gonna go. Uh, oh, absolutely! Are, are you making, kidding me? We weren't making do that a, any other way. I'm making a choice. For oh no, you. no, that no, no, no. Well, you don't have to make the choice for me because that's what we're doing. Okay. It's a real one All of those right. moments where we're both agreeing, but we don't agree about who's agreeing to what. <laughs> no, no, that's what I told you we're doing. No, no, that's what we're doing. I know because I told you. Well, let us take our first look at our first film by our first director, making his feature debut in our first episode of our third year. And who is our first director, Tyler? Our first director directed a film originally meant to be homed by the great Kenji Fukusaku of Battles Without Honor and Humanity and Battle Royale fame, and originally was supposed to be a comedy. Violent Cop sees the lead actor, Takeshi Kitano, a.k.a. Beat Takeshi, as the titular Violent Cop. Shocking to Japanese fans who are not ready to see the famous comedian in a serious role, Violent Cops is an explosive, violent, and at times serene film. From 1989, directed by Takeshi Kitano, Violent Cop. してんだよ。てめえだって仲間じゃねえのか。こいつらどうします？ほっとけ。He is the man of the shitty little kicks, Kateshi Katano. 
I, I think we should do the, the him slapping that guy scene. Like at the beginning of the movie? It's not at the beginning of the movie, no. It's the when they're in the bathroom. Oh, in the bathroom. He just keeps hitting I'm, him. I'm thinking of the scene where he comes into that, that family's house, walks up to the door, and then just beats the fuck out of that kid in the beginning. Beats that kid up. He beats, he beats his ass. Like, he gives that kid the beating of a lifetime. So Takeshi Kitano was a comedian. He was a comedian, yes. This makes a lot of sense now in watching this movie, actually. Yeah, no, it, it kind of unlocks <laughs> who he is, I think, as a performer. This actually makes my next statement that I actually wrote when I was taking notes for this a little more, like, I think, kind of sound. This dude is like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Like, he's really kind of like a like a triple threat that he writes, he directs, and he acts. He's got all these things going, but he's also like, it makes sense that he's a comedian now. This actually really makes a lot of sense in the movie. So what is Violent Cop about? So Violent Cop is about a violent cop. Oh, you want more? Uh, okay, so Violent Cop is about... <laughs> yes, I want more. They can read that from the title. It's like shaking that one episode of Aqua Teen. I know that. <laughs> I could have told you that on the front lawn. But what does it mean? So, Violent Cop is Takeshi Kitano. He is the titular Violent Cop. He is essentially a Dirty Harry type. There is a cop in the police force who is scheming off the drugs and selling them to the gangs. And he is on a, on a loose cannon mission to find out who's doing it and why and to get to the bottom of it. And let me tell you, it's a lot bleaker than any Dirty Harry movie <laughs> ever made. Well, it's also a movie where it does not glorify the concept of the police. Like, oh God. it shows him doing this. Like, because, okay, so the movie opens up where you see this guy. This is the best way to describe his character. You see this guy sitting there, and he appears to be homeless, and these kids start fucking with him, and they kind of, like, push him down and, like, hit him with their bikes. And just really kind of just like rough him up because he's a homeless guy and kids are shitty, I guess, is what you're supposed to learn. You see one of the kids go home and you're like, well, this is a weird opening to a movie. All of a sudden you see a guy in a brown suit just walking towards a door and you're like, OK. And the guy opens the door or the woman opens the door to where one of the kids went in. And the guy said, I'm the police. I need to talk to your son. He goes up the stairs, knocks on the door. The kid opens up the door. This guy proceeds to punch the kid across the room. And this is Takeshi Kitano who is playing the violent cop. He's not a good guy, but like you weirdly are kind of on his side when what he's doing because there is a sense of honor to it. That kid needs to get seven shades of shit beat out of him for doing what he did. But I mean, like he should do it in a legal upstanding way. But Takeshi Kitano's like, no, this is much quicker. Like I'm doing what the society needs me to do. Like, I don't know if you're on his side. I think you come to understand that's why what it he's is, like I think. this. Yes, I think that's what it is. I think you come to understand that like he's violent and a loose cannon cop because he is there's an infinite well of sadness within him and that's what makes him kind of this like shitty mean person. I don't think the movie is like you should like it's not like Dirty Harry where it's like this is how this is how law should be. You know, you shouldn't question cops. They should just be allowed to execute people in the street, which is my problem with Dirty Harry and why I kind of secretly love Dirty Harry. Oh, of course it is. Whereas this film, I think, is like much more. This movie's a lot less toxic and I think a lot less um, 
rah rah cops are great because i mean as soon as <laughs> he beats the shit out of like a 15 year old kid like the kid can't be more than like 15 years old and he like goes into his house and then like all of the reprimand he gets is like from the new sergeant being like i like your style kid like you can't do that <laughs> It is great that they are like, hey, like, look, hold on a second. The guy goes and closes the door. He's like, we're all high five in this, right? Yeah, high five. Fuck that kid. He goes, let me open the door again. He goes, you can't do that. They're all like, we kind of like the results you get, but you just can't go about it this way. And Takeshi Katana's like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You going to tell me no? No. We're going to find me? Yeah, you're out, of your, you're out of your fucking mind. I'm the best cop you have. Like his clearance rate, apparently, like from what you understand, he's a good cop. It's just he goes about it in like a very like, Okay, imagine, like, there's you, a perp, and between you two is just a small pile of bullshit. Everyone else will circumvent the bullshit to get to the perp. He just walks right through it. He's like, no, fuck that. I don't care. I have other pants. I'm going to get him. Like, this is going to be much quicker. And you see him do this several times. It's interesting because this movie is also kind of told from another person's perspective, even though he's not the star by any means. The guy who plays the rookie is such an integral part to this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you see him get kind of like this guy's like life through the rookie. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's like a rookie trope. Okay. But it's like the it kind of circumvents the rookie trope where it's like he like takes him gambling and he's like, I think trying to like show him the ropes to a certain extent, but like doesn't hold his hands like at all. And like takes money from him to bet on things and they're like well he's like betting's against the law and he's like eh, who gives a fuck <laughs> like essentially like whatever what are you gonna do stop me well it's a great moment where like the guy comes over and goes let me pay for your games or he goes no don't give it to me i'll be arrested hand it to him like <laughs> katano is really really strong in this and i gotta tell you i have seen a takeshi katano movie in the theater oh which one I saw Zatowichi in a theater. Yeah, The Blind Swordsman. Dude, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's it was on Paramount Plus, and I was like, oh, I'll watch the trailer. And the trailer does not feature Takeshi Kitano, the titular Blind Swordsman. That's and a I pretty was, impressive feat for them to do, considering. I was like, how? <laughs> Someone at Paramount, someone at Paramount Plus, was like sitting there one day, and he goes, "Hey, Dave, bet I could turn this trailer. Bet I could put out a trailer of someone without it." And he goes, "He goes, yeah." He goes, "Can I pick?" He goes, "Sure." And he hands him Zatowicz. He goes, "Well, fuck you, like fuck you, Dave." What I love is that they don't really tell you what the B story is going to be until like twenty minutes in. Yeah, there's. It's just. It's kind of just establishing this dude and his repertoire and why he's the violent cop. Yeah, so this was his first, like, breakaway from comedy. Yeah, so what happened is originally supposed to be directed by the great Kenji Fukusaku. And what else has he done? He did the battles without honor and humanity, like, quadrology, like, five films. And then they went off and spun off and did, like, <laughs> like six more. Like, fucking insane. He essentially reinvented the Yakuza genre from scratch from being these like honorable movies about oh, people who like the kind of like, you know, like old mob movies where like, they got a code and they live by it and they don't hurt innocence. And it's like, no, they're a lot, a lot dumber than that and a lot more violent. And he kind of like reinvented those. 
He did also do, I think, Cops and Th- Cops and Thugs or Cops versus Thugs, and I think he did Graveyard of Honor, which is like also considered like a great Yakuza movie. And he would eventually reteam with Takeshi Kitano in the 2000s and do a little movie called Battle Royale. That was his last film. He would direct a little bit of Battle Royale too, but he I think he died like like two days into the shoot, and his son would finish Battle Royale too, and it's not that good. But yeah, so um, wait, he but he also did Battle Royale. Yeah, the original. Battle okay, Royale. yeah, so so he did get to work with Takeshi Kitano like on a pretty mm-hmm. seminal film. Yeah, you know, one of the most important Japanese films of all time. <laughs> I I mean, I would argue that right, like um, it's not out it's not out of line to say like Battle Royale is like a probably like top ten like important Japanese movie. Oh yeah. Important with a capital I. Like that's a yeah. big old big big important Japanese like, movie. Like would I that don't... be like if you had to pick four Japanese movies for a Mount Rushmore, would that be one of them? It would be close. It would be in consideration. So I think if I had to do it off the top of my head right now, gun to my head, I'd be like Seven Samurai, Godzilla. Oh, those are not bad. I'd have to pick an Ozu, like Tokyo Story, I think. People love Tokyo Story. I've never seen and it, but people love it. May, yeah, maybe Battle Royale. I think Battle Royale is in conversation for being like top five at the very least. Yeah, I could argue that too. I would maybe change Seven Samurai. I know it's like the work, but I, I think Rashomon is just like the strongest like made movie he's ever I done. Mean, Rashomon or Yojimbo, like there's so many. Yojimbo's, like, yeah, fuck. Yojimbo is like the seminal samurai movie too in some ways. It's the same thing with with you know Ozu. You go with Tokyo Story, but you could just as easily pick like Late Spring or. Ugh. Speaking of, one of those. movies we've watched, including Seven Samurai, I was going through my filmography last or my films last night, trying to like pick seconds, and there would just be sections where I'd be like, I don't even need to worry about these, and like would just delete out because like they'd either made Mount Rushmores or we talked about them already. <laughs> I was like, this is nice, and he wrote and directed this, so like the other guy dropped out, and Katana's like, I could do it. So yeah, Fukusaka dropped out. Because the way that Kitano's schedule worked is he was still signed to do television. And Japanese television is it's its own mess kettle of fish that I don't really know much about. But And yet you've seen he, enough of it to know what it looks like when you watch movies like Nori the Host. Yeah, no, I Or Nori with, the Curse. Yeah, yeah, no, I lived with my, my girlfriend for a while whose mom is Okinawan and she would watch NHK all the time. And so I just would watch NHK not knowing what's going on and just like kind of pay attention to it. He was, Katana was a major Japanese celebrity at this time. He was one of the most popular comedians of his era. If so not like, was the he a most stand-up? Was he a stand-up? So it's a version of stand-up comedy. He had a partner. I forget the partner's name. Is this she, more I'm like so vaudeville kind of? Kind of, you have like a straight man and you have like a, con- yeah. like a joke man. So it's I like it's like a Chris Farley, was... David Spade situation. Yes, and I who's think, he in it? I think he was the the joke man. He might have been the straight man. I don't know. I mean, you could see it. Like he has all the intensity, guys. If if you want to look up two pictures and tell me, oh, you're not wrong. He should. He has all the intensity and all of the skills to play the late years Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> Look it up and tell me I'm wrong. Like, that dude could play Minoru Suzuki tomorrow. Honestly speaking, here's what I would do. Find a really good-looking, handsome Japanese man who looks like Minoru Suzuki back in the day. Have him play him 
with Takeshi Kitano directing the movie for the first half of the movie, make it a two-hour movie for the first hour, and then there's just a hard cut to the later years. He had been acting for a long time. He had a serious role in a movie called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which is directed by the great Nasiga Oshimiya. Who doesn't love him? I have no idea. His other major movie is the Criterion film In the Realm of the Senses, which is big old extreme erotic film that is a hard NC-17. Most people in America might know Takeshi Kitano from the TV show MXC, or Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, which played on Spike for years. He is the guy, <laughs> the actual guy behind that show, because that show originally in Japan was known as Takeshi's Castle. And the whole point was that you're this supposed was to... This Playhouse? No. The whole point was that you're supposed to... It was like a Japanese game show, and you're supposed to do like a whole bunch of different elimination challenge. And you would have like balls shot at you. You would have like all sorts of just like horrible things happen to you. <laughs> and you would try to like hold on to this mushroom that was spinning and would drop you into like some gross water. Or you'd try to like run through the thing. His comedy persona before that was the two beats or subitu and it was like a sketch comedy thing and he was the straight man so he was very popular in japan he was considered like one of the most famous comedians and i mean prior to this he had a video game called takeshi's challenge which was essentially just a troll because he didn't like video games (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the game was just like ridiculously dumb and hard and finally he wanted to be taken kind of seriously as an actor he knew that he could be like a very serious actor so when Fukusaku dropped out he rewrote the script without taking credit for it essentially what happened is Fukusaku dropped out because he had to spend like he would have to spend 10 days at a time shooting television and then like a couple days shooting the movie and because of that schedule the way it worked, Fukusaki was like, this movie's going to take forever. I don't want to work with it like that. And so the company that owned it was like, why don't you take the script, take the movie, take the thing, and just like work on it on your own pace. So he rewrote the script to be less of a comedy and to be more of a Dirty Harry type movie. And shot at his own pace. Had huge disagreements with the crew. And you can kind of see it doesn't feel the same way that like a later Takeshi uh, Katana movie would feel like a boiling point even or Sonentine or Hanabi. I'm really glad we agree on that because it does feel rough like you can tell this is a first attempt at directing I think it's it's not only just a first attempt at directing but it's also like someone who's like constantly fighting his crew <laughs> yeah Um, yeah you you can you can tell that there is there is like we're going at my pace kind of thing and the crew's not pleased about that he is kind of known later on for like these very static shots and you do see that in this film these like really long cuts and like bold serene camera placements where like violence will just sort of happen and I think the crew was not used to that style and kind of wanted it to be a more conventional film. And you see him fighting to to make the movie he wants to make. And yeah, at times it's it's real rough. Yeah, it's true. 
but he also gets kind of the message across that I think he wants. I mean, say what you will. The stuff, like, the turn in this movie where, and you know you know the scene I'm going to talk about. You remember in the movie Bad Boys where they both stand up in front of the camera and, like, I think they hang up a phone and... Shit just got real. When you find out that the two stories of Takeshi Kitano's life, which, and we haven't spoken of her yet, which is his life as a policeman, but his life also as a brother to his sister, who's messed up for some reason. I don't feel they really get into it. They kind of avoid it. What do you think it is? I think she's suicidal. I think she has, like... Melancholy <sighs> tendencies? Yeah, some sort of, like, bipolar or schizophrenia type thing. And I think you see that she has, like, a thing around her neck, so I think she clearly tried to kill herself. Man, you're right. That is true. She does... When those two stories cross over, it's you're just like, wait, what? Oh, no. So what essentially happens, ladies and gentlemen, is that the guys he's trying to track down get a hold of her because like they know he's on to him because the guy who's the cop who's been supplying the drugs to all the gangs knows him and like they get a hold of her and then they just dope her up with heroin and then proceed to just kind of like hold her hostage, and it's it's not good. Like I mean, this, this movie's this movie's rough. Like halfway through, guys, so just know that it's movies. I mean, big trigger warning for that scene specifically. This movie's just rough in general. Like his buddy is, you it, know, but it, you know, and see that goes back to the thing. It might be a rough Takeshi Kitano movie in terms of like how it's made, but it is a it is a Takeshi Kitano movie. Like I mean, yeah, like. This does feel like all of his other movies, but it just feels like the most like raw version, maybe in some ways. Yeah, I mean, Boiling Point is also pretty raw, more of like a raw nerve, I guess, type film. The weird thing is he kind of bounces in between like just violent Yakuza movies. And like, I think his movie after Boiling Point is like Scenes at the Beach. And he has like a movie called like Kids Return and... He does like more like art housey films, and in between that, he'll do like Sonnentine, <laughs> which is like one of the m most like just bleak and violent movies I've ever seen. We've talked about Sonnentine. I know that's been on your Sonnentine's great. It's like one of my top, probably my top ten, top ten films of all time. Probably really yeah. wow. Yeah, I love Sonnentine. I've seen it like I've seen it like nine times. <laughs> The two plots cross over and Katano is like forced to kind of try to find his sister while at the same time, like trying to track these guys down. And at one point he gets fired from the police and I'll be honest with him. That's the worst thing they could have done for these criminals was to fire him. That's a bad, bad time for them. Yeah. It's <laughs> and like, the cops it's like, too. Well, no, that's my point is like Katano's like, Oh, I don't have to answer to anyone now just to my own justice. Oh, there's no rules and regulation anymore. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh, what? Wait, wait. From what I understand, you've taken the gloves off, but my fists are harder than the gloves. So, oh no, for you. As soon as the gloves come off, he goes out and gets a gun. <laughs> Just hilarious. Yes, yes, he does. The guy's like, kind of funny that ex cop on a legal gun. <laughs> Katana's like silent. It's so funny. He's like, he's like, yeah, it's gonna be funny when I use it too. Oh, uh, Kateshi Katana, what won't you do? What won't you do? We haven't talked about how his friend is the guy, right? His friend. 
his his friend in the police academy, his friend in the police force, Iwata, he is the guy supplying the drug dealers with with drugs. Yes, yes, Iwata. Yes, he is. And and they essentially, it's like they don't fuck around. They're just like, okay, well, you're dead because it's your friend. And like they essentially just like they like give him one chance, the chance falls through, and then they just snuff him out. And it's like all off screen. That's right. It is. It's, it's wild. Yeah. You, you're never really quite sure. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like a movie that's kind of like, kind of has something hindering it now that you've said it. I was wondering what I, I had to watch this twice. Like, cause the first time I was like, I'm like, okay, I can watch this. And then I picked up my phone. I looked up, I was like, Oh, the movie's over. I just didn't pay attention. I mean, like I heard stuff throughout it, but like the second time I sat down and I like watched it and I'm like, this is good. It's just, it's real rough. I think it's yeah. its problem. It's, it's, I mean, it's, Probably not as good. It's definitely not as good as Sonic Time. It's, it's, it's a movie that I think put Katano on the map and kind of made people go like, okay, well, the thing is, is like in Japan, it didn't do well, and his first couple of movies didn't do well because people were like, this guy's a comedian. Why isn't he making comedies? Like people just couldn't take the dissidence of a comedian being like a violent, angry cop, <laughs> and so he doesn't do well until I think Sonatime plays at Venice and people are like, this is great. And briefly before we talk about the end of the movie, I wanted to talk about where Japanese cinema is at, at the time. Cause it's not in a good place. Katana was kind of one of the guys that like helps put like homegrown Japanese cinema back on the map. Some of the bigger studios, I think Toho at, at this year in 1989 starts a V cinema line with V cinema in Japan is video cinema. It's like movies that go straight to video. Um, attendance is dropping for movies in Japan. People kind of don't want to see like Japanese movies anymore in a year. I think dreams comes out and dreams is the first movie by Akira Kurosawa where he cannot get it funded in Japan and has to go outside of Japan to get the movie made. And it gets it gets produced by Spielberg and Lucas, and I think Scorsese puts some money into it. And they sell it to Universal, and, and Universal puts it out. But Japan, at this point, isn't doing great. It'll have a bit of a resurgence in the 90s. Katana kind of puts Pan back on the map, like, internationally. With Sonatine, with Hanabi, with Kids Return. He wins a Golden Bear in the 90s, I think, for Hanabi. I think Hanabi plays at Khan as well. And so he kind of puts the movies back, like Japanese, like homegrown cinema back on the map. And as well as the, the, and we'll talk about the second movie, but this is like a time where Japanese film is kind of in flux. Okay, first of all, you missed a very key detail in there. Yes. Where does Johnny Mnemonic fit in? Johnny Mnemonic is not a Japanese movie, but he, <laughs> but he is in Johnny, Johnny Mnemonic, and he refuses to speak English. Johnny Mnemonic is after Sonatine. Straight Brandoing. He's interesting. I, I like Takeshi Kitano. We say this movie's rough, and it is rough, but I think it, I think it has amazing promise to it. Not unlike some of our other great firsts that we've talked about in Get Out, Targets, I think is a good one, Badlands, and Blood Simple. They're all good, but they're a little rough, I agree. I think all of them have like rough moments and like like parts that just you're like, oh, that's a first time look right there. I mean, 
that's their first demise. This does also share with all of those is an incredible ending that makes you remember it. The ending oh, yeah. of this movie is amazing. It's great. It's so fucking nihilistic. It's so bleak. Like I thought last week's killing them softly was one of the most bleak endings I've seen in a while. And I was like, Oh yeah, right. Violent cop. Maybe we should do Sonatine soon because Sonatine has, the, I think, the bleakest ending I've ever seen. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out a way to do Sonatine. I think when we watch Sonatine, it's going to unlock like a, a big, oh, that's what Tyler likes about movies. For me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think it's going to be like... By the way, Arrow is incredible. Oh, Arrow? Yeah, Arrow. The Arrow player is amazing. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. It's fantastic. I'm guessing you watch both of them on there, right? I did not. I watched the other one on Prime. Oh, it's on Prime. I guess that leads you to ask me something. We need to. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, the ending. Yes, the ending. (laughs) The ending. I know. That's what I wanted you to ask me about. The ending. Just trying to rush me along. Wants to get to the other. Trying to rush anything along. (laughs) You're the one trying to rush me along. Stop. Stop. These are these are lies we make up. What does Philip Seymour often say to Walking Phoenix and the Master? Go back to your original place. The ending. He shows up. I'll say this: the guy who like is buying the drugs, who's the dude who stabbed the guy in the very beginning. Is like, he goes, he's coming for us. He's going to kill us. If you guys try to run, I'm going to kill you. He goes, either way, we're all going to die. Like, I like that that dude kind of accepts it. He goes, nope. He goes, he's just going to come. He's, he's, he, we're, if you don't kill him, he's just going to, he's going to make your life worse. I love that the big boss thinks that he can reason with him. And like, <laughs> Katana just like walks in and he's like, Katana, hey, hey, violent cop, let me try and break. And then just Katana just like pulls out a gun and goes bang, 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 <laughs> and leaves. Yep. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, you dead. And he gets to the place where they're holding his sister, and the sister is just fucked up on heroin and has just been like pretty much, pretty much used almost, I think, every which way but loose. It's not good. And he kills the other three guys. Two of them are dead. And Katano gets the other two. And then he's just kind of standing there. And like the person he blows away last is laying there dying. And the sister comes into the picture and starts like looking for heroin and just kind of is saying heroin over and over while she's looking for it through his pockets because she's just jacked up on it. And Katano just kind of looks at her and it's this beautiful shot where it's between two pillars and like the guy's leaning up against one of the pillars and you can't see Katano except kind of his arm. And she's looking for the heroin on the ground and there's just light perfectly hitting them. Katano holds up the gun and just fires twice. It might be the nicest shot in the movie, actually. Only eclipsed by the final shot of that scene. Yeah, that's actually very true. Where it's like an underling. He's like, Katano's like walking away and someone just fucking just, downs him and it's, it's a it's a beautiful crumpling he just like falls like a paper mache dummy to the floor and someone turns on the lights takes a look at all the carnage and then turns the lights off and you're just kind of left with this like beautiful shot of a body crumpled in the light of the sun like illuminating this like small park car park it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous shot and then Last but not least, we see the man who has watched all of this carnage go down and has seen this just numerous lives wrecked by by these drugs and corruption and all the stuff that's happening. My man, the rookie, he walks in to an office and he goes, he's asked, can you do what Awada did for us? And he goes, yes. He says to him, he goes, I'm no fool, sir. He goes, I understand. And you're just like, oh, oh, the system's oh, no. broken. Oh, 
the violent cop was the best cop amongst all of them. Not even. It's, it's like, is this carnage? Did this carnage like jade this cop? Maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. The movie's just like, I don't know. There's no answers. It's great. A plus. Yeah, it is. It's good. Well, I think you only have two more questions to ask me. Uh, my biggest question, my first question, is what would you pair this with? You know what? I kind of put on ten minutes of this to remind myself if it was this week, and I, I agreed with it. I would pair this with Training Day. Ooh. Or the original Bad Lieutenant. Ooh. Not Port of Call? You know what? I would pair it with Port of Call. Any of those three movies, pretty much. But I think Training Day is the one that works the best in some ways, because if this movie had maybe focused on that relationship a little more, I think you really could have had a winner in this. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It feels a little, yeah, like you said, I think it feels a little rough around the edges, but I still think it's really good. What do you give Violent Cop? What do you give Violent Cop? I give Violent Cop four stars. I give it three and a half, actually. It's yeah. rough. It's got amazing promise. I think Katano, uh, if you were to ask me, would I see the next thing that the person who made this did? Yes, I absolutely would. Yeah, I also think it's just like I probably am more primed to like this because I really I really do like Takeshi Katano. Yeah, <sighs> Time and Hanabi are both like five star movies for me. It's an interesting first attempt and it makes you do kind of see what he does next. Because if this dude was a comedian, I would have walked out of that movie being like, Holy shit, Kateshi Katano can actually act. There's like real moments of like, and I'll say this too, this is how you know it's really he can act. It transcends a language barrier. Yeah. Which is a very impressive, and I'll say it, I think frankly hard thing to do. He's upsettingly good in this. Yeah, he is. Well, what does that move us on to? That moves us on to the debut feature from one of the leading voices in Japanese horror, Shinya Sukimoto sees us watching an erotic, disgusting mix of violence, sex, and sexy violence. Produced independently and shot in ultra-grainy, black-and-white, 16mm film stock, this film would help prime audiences for the J-horror wave two decades later. The violent, horrific, erotic, body-horror blast from the future, from 1989, directed by Shinya Tsukamoto, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Ah! <laughs> 
中一人にしないでよ Should just be the opening of Tetsu and Iron Man. Just that thumping music and a man yelling in the background. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. I fucking loved this. <laughs> This movie fucking rocked! Yeah. I'll tell you this, we got home after getting my glasses, getting coffee, and getting Chick-fil-A yesterday, because I was like, no, fuck it, I I got glasses today, I'm doing something nice for myself that isn't good for me. So we sat down, and Mark was like, what is this? I'm I'm like, it's called Tetsuo the Iron Man. And he goes, what's it about? I'm like, I don't know, man, it's an hour and seven minutes. And like, he sat down behind me, like, at the counter of our breakfast table, eating and within about four minutes had moved over to the couch and he said what the fuck is going on i was like dude i don't know like i was like but this is amazing <laughs> we both were taken on a journey for like 67 minutes yesterday and goddamn, this oh. almost shouldn't count as a movie but god if this movie packs more into 67 minutes than some movies can in two hours it's yes it's it's there's a lot <laughs> and yet there really isn't okay so let's start with that the dude who is incredibly vain and wears black lipstick is Tetsuo, right? Tetsuo is there really isn't a Tetsuo. There's no no one's credited as Tetsuo. I have no idea why it's called Tetsuo. That's just the name of the movie. We'll go through the characters really quick. You have salaryman, you have woman, you have woman in glasses, you have guy, aka the metal fetishist, you have doctor. And you have Tramp. I think the guy who you're talking about, the incredibly vain guy, is the salary man. Who's the guy? No, no, who... I'm talking about the guy who, like, is able to manipulate oh, the technology. That is the metal fetishist. Yeah. Who's he played by? He is played by the art director of this piece. That's what I thought. Shinya Sugimoto. <laughs> yeah, I think he's Tetsuo the Iron Man. I think Tetsuo the Iron Man is the person at the end of the movie. The, like, the two people coming together. That's the Iron Man. That's fair. Before we go any further past your little director friend here, I'm going to read you something, and then you're going to make sure you send him a, an email that tells him to start writing this letter. One part love letter to early Lynch mixed with the idea of the loss of innocence. Shinyana Tsukamoto debut feature is an entertaining kinetic 67-minute ride. It runs the gamut of emotion and leaves you asking one thing. Where can I get more Tetsuo? This is very clearly an homage to David Lynch in a lot of ways as well. Like, this feels like like this guy saw a racer and he said, okay, okay, I think I get it now. You want to know something funny? 
What's that? He was making Super 8 shorts from before Eraserhead was made. His first one he ever made was Geisha San when he was 14 years old. How can that dude be older than David Lynch? He looks so young in this movie. Oh, he's not older than David Lynch. He was born in 1960. I believe David Lynch was born in the 50s. He was filming. He was making movies. uh, Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, I do think in many ways this this movie feels very Eraserhead. And I wouldn't be surprised if he had seen Eraserhead. But he was also, Tsukamoto was, a guy in Japanese theater at the time and like weird Japanese theater. And he was kind of trying to move, <laughs> I think the Japanese theater into film, kind of like what he was doing on stage, which is just very weird things. <laughs> he would go on to make, I mean, he's made like 12, 13 features. He's also an actor. Oh boy. Is he? Uh, do you he is because he's well he's acting in this movie but do you want to know what he you've seen him in something battle royale no oh he i don't think i don't think he's in battle royale no i don't think he is either he's not he is in a little movie well he's in itchy the killer but he's also in a little movie called silence oh get the fuck out of here who is he he plays one of the villagers here, I'm going to send you a picture really quick. Really? Yes. Apparently, Martin Scorsese is a fan. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's him? Yeah. This might... What is his name again? In Silence? No, no, no. What is... Um... Oh, uh, Shinea Tsukamoto. Hold on a second. Spell Spell it out for me. Here, I'll just send you his name. I'm not going to lie to you, dude. There's a dude like on Twitter who I think liked something and was connected to the movie Silence somehow. And it might be oh. this guy. Oh, no. <laughs> no, like he liked like a tweet of one of ours or something. Like, it's crazy. That might be him. I, I just got to find the tweet. But we'll do this. We'll do this later. But yeah, it might actually be him because that looks like the guy, I think, from the thing. Weird. Anyway. Yeah, go on. Shinei Sugimoto is just one of the... Just a fucking monster of a director. <laughs> Boy, is he. This is his first feature film that is able to be found. He did make movies longer than this that would technically be a feature, but I don't think he's ever released them or they've ever been like released publicly. This is a movie shot on 16 millimeter. It was independently produced. It's kind of the exact opposite of Takeshi Kitano's film, which is why I picked it. It became a cult hit once it was released, playing the Fanta Festival in Rome, where it received the award for best film. It was screened without subtitles because they could not afford to put them on the movie. So just imagine just going to a movie in a country and just just being like okay that's the best film there's no subtitles i don't know what to what to make of it it didn't do very well in japan but did great overseas it's an incredible right this movie ladies and gentlemen if you are listening to this if there is one recommendation i can give you this week violent cop is an hour and 40 minutes and there are moments where it lags This is one hour and seven minutes long, and it never stops going the entire time. It is not only a beautiful horror movie, guys, and I mean that in the strictest sense of the word. This is a horror movie. 
it is also a comedy. It is also a drama. It is also a movie about a deep meditation on what it is to lose one's innocence. And I believe it is also a metaphor for the loss of virginity as well. Like this is an incredibly dark and well thought out first movie. And this is like someone who said, I may never get another chance to do what they're letting me do here. So I'm going to do everything I can to do it here. It's not long guys. You owe yourselves to watch Tetsuo, the Iron Man. It is a game changer as far as I am concerned in terms of a first movie. Like I'll say this, it is the strongest first movie that we've done in the three years we've talked first. I'll say it right now. That's how strongly I feel about this movie. I nearly wow. ran this movie back and watched it again when we first finished it. I will say I've watched the movie twice. <laughs> it's really like, easy to watch. You know, like a week time. I was just like, oh, fuck it. Just put it on again, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, I got I an hour and seven minutes. Who wants to watch Tetsuo? Like, as I told um, you with Violent Cop, I, I had seen clips of it and stuff before. This I had actually had recommended to me at one point and had had in my hand. And I just did not watch it. It's just like too weird. No, no, it wasn't uh, even too weird. I just had other stuff I was trying to get to at the time. Yeah, makes sense. It's it's a it's a rough. It's not a rough movie. It's a it's a movie that like I would it's be like you got you gotta watch Tetsuo Iron Man. But like I also am like definitely of the opinion like it's like ten ninety whether or not they actually do it because that movie is it's it's such a what is this? <laughs> but like as soon as it starts, like it starts with the metal fetishist in his like place full of metal parts the movie is very industrial both in the musical sense and in the original sense of the term oh um, mark wants to rip that whole score off oh it's it's great I, it's credited to someone chu ishikawa who's a composer who's worked with takeshi Mike, and he was the frontman and founder of the industrial group der eisenhorst yeah, sure. he did a bunch of screen, green screen, but soundtracks. I'm sure that you can find the soundtrack somewhere online. It's fucking incredible. How, what is this movie about? How do we talk about? Like, we're almost like, I think, 15 minutes in. I don't think we've said anything about it. It is about, so there's a guy, he's a metal fetishist. He cuts open his thigh and then puts in a metal rod into the wound. And then he unwraps the wound to discover it is rotting and covered with maggots. That's like that is the opening shot of this movie. <laughs> and then from there he goes on a run. He's trying to I think he's trying to like run as fast as he can. You kind of get the sense that he wants to be this famous athlete. He wants to like to like like move, but he also wants to like meld his body with metal. And you get this sense that they're kind of surrounded in this very isolated place with all of this like machinery and and steam and like the, the world is becoming more metallic around them and then he gets hit by a car which is driven by the salary man who is afterwards tormented with these visions of industry with these visions of metal with these visions of like metallic things coming together and then we get that thumping score and you just get one of the most fist pumpingest one of the best fucking <laughs> credits sequences I've ever seen just like as soon as it starts I'm like fuck yeah we, we into this this is happening the movie takes off from there and it seems like the metal fetishist is some sort of thing or presence what I love about this movie is they don't give you 
any sort of explanation. Anything. The metal fetishist is some sort of thing, entity, whatever. It doesn't matter. But he can manipulate things to where he will turn you into metal is what I'm gathering. Yes. He is kind of like this this corrupting presence that is attempting to turn not just himself, but like other people into these like half man, half melding of flesh and metallic imagery which is deeply upsetting i think what he is going for here is i think the idea of this whole movie i think the thesis behind it is is that the dependence upon technology is what is tearing us apart not only as a society but it's what's tearing us apart as people who want to be around other people in romantic senses this movie shows you images at moments of two people having sex in the woods and you don't know what's going on they pay that off so beautifully later by you finding out that that's someone witnessing that. And I swear to God, this movie is about losing your virginity as someone, that person moving on, and the person you become after you move on from that person, which is what I think Tetsuo is. And I think that's kind of, unfortunately, the darker path you can go down. That's interesting, because to me, the movie, what I got from it, is the movie is about how technology and industry and all of these like things are like very isolating and how they've like isolated us from one another and how Mm -hmm. we kind of like long for these connections but like our fear and these like things that drive us like kind of keep us from being able to communicate openly with one another and also that body horror is cool as fuck that as well that is also very much as well and hilarious too it, there's a, a scene which is it's funny because of how ridiculous it is but is also like i think deeply troubling because it's 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 a, it's a scene that's supposed to have you be like men are just so afraid of being penetrated that it's kind of hilarious oh my god it's great the chase sequence with the woman guys here's the other thing too this may be shot on 16 millimeter this is one of the best lit movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. The lighting in this movie is absolutely incredible. It's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know how this guy pulled this off. It's, and it's, oh, I mean, you know, and Mark said it perfectly, too, outside of the score. He said, you know, you look at this movie, he goes, you realize we don't do anything anymore, like, in terms of building stuff. Because, like, it's all practical. It is all practical. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. Someone made that Iron Man at the end. Like, someone put that together. Oh, yeah. And I bet it looked amazing. All of the things that happen in this movie, someone made with their hands. That's that's so cool. It is. (laughs) I love all of the stop motion in this movie. I think it's incredible. And I think stop motion is like an art that is completely lost. I will say... I did watch his short that he made before this, which is called The Adventures of Electric Rod Boy. And it's not as good, but it is interesting because it's doing a lot of the same stuff, just like not quite as well. And it's made on like eight millimeter collar stock. And so it just doesn't kind of fit as well. This movie, he nails it. Like he just nails all of it. Yeah, he does kind of just nail it, doesn't he? But yeah, you have this this woman at the train station who wears glasses, who gets taken over by the metal fetishist, I think. Yeah, he gets taken over by the metal fetishist 
and she becomes this like terrifying <laughs> woman who chases him and has like this giant claw arm and so is attacking good. him. And I think that's what starts. He has like this thing on his cheek, like this little like square on his cheek, which I think is like where the metal fetishist is like starting. Yeah. And he does he kill her? Yeah, he he I think he beats her ass to death. <laughs> yeah, he like I think yeah, I think he like stabs her with a pen or something. Yeah, I believe he does. And she dies and he then has this movie when I said erotic, I mean it. <laughs> this oh, movie there is, like, oh, there's like there's a sex scene in this where you're like, "Oh, that's like legitimately kind of like erotic." And then like yeah. it it just then it turns. <laughs> And then it, then it becomes the least erotic. <laughs> very, very true. It does become um, the least erotic. It starts with a very funny, not a very funny, but it starts with like his him having a dream of this, like his girlfriend having this, like being like kind of like being like sort of like an Iron Man. She looks a little bit like the girl at the train station and she's dancing and has this giant hose phallus in front of her. And it, it ends up sodomizing him. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where it's like definitely not funny while you're watching it. But like describing it is very surreal and weird. And I think it's definitely like one of those things of just like male fears and intimidation. And he afterwards gets home and he sees that his he's his metal transformation is kind of accelerating I mean, kind of, really. Kind of, yeah. Slowly accelerating. <laughs> That's a joke, sorry. He has sex with his girlfriend, and then it all goes bad. <laughs> it's really, really true. It does go all bad, doesn't it? All goes bad from here. It starts accelerating more. His face starts turning metal. And then he gets an appendage that I think we need to talk about. <sighs> to quote Mary Poppins, if we must, we must. Yes, he he does get an appendage, doesn't he? You uh, know, you, you get you're getting older. It's a huge dick that's a drill. There, I said it. Oh, I was gonna. Okay, well, hmm. Or excuse me, it's a huge drill where his dick should be. It is, and it's it is raging. It's um, so funny. This movie is about what happens when you first get laid. I I think it's also about like uh, sexual repression. Oh, I think it is, too. I think it is, too, very much so. But I think it's, yeah. Oh, so maybe those people that are are being watched having sex are actually, like, him, like, perving on someone. Maybe. I think he is in it, is what it looks mm. like to me. Interesting. So, I think it's a little bit of him perving. I also think it's, like, him secretly wanting to be, like, dominated. Or having less control. That's an sex. interesting point. I mean, that's what it seems like to me personally. But mm -hmm. I think there's something to like the woman in glasses who, be when she becomes electronic, goes from this like docile, like woman who's like reading to this like, like, like crazed look, like craven, like angry woman who's like chasing him. His nightmare is like his 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 girlfriend having this like long phallic hose. <laughs> and so like I hmm. think part of it is like yeah, like he's like sexually repressing this like desire to be controlled. 
I mean, the movie is like all about these like really erotic, visceral images of like your body kind of being a prison and like uh, like literal electronics and iron and 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 bolts like taking you over. Yeah, that's very very true. It's great. Yeah, no, it is. A it's plus. very it's very well done. <laughs> it's very very well done. So yeah, it kind of just goes on from there, and it's just this weird kind of like movie because we don't really know it. We don't really know what this metal fetish is. To escape. Like it appears that like you can kind of fight him back. And that will cause him pain. Yeah. Because he eventually I mean, has to come out of his metal kind of hiding place to kind of face this guy. They have a fight scene and it in stop motion and they would run around the city and the metal fetishist is very fast and it's a lot to take in. This movie just it has a lot and it's it's gross. But it's also beautiful in the sense it's too that like that like he did this for like a dollar ninety five. Like this movie could not oh, yeah, have yeah, cost. Yeah. This yeah, movie yeah. could not have cost a lot of money. Like no, he made this know. movie for nothing. And like, yeah. it looks incredible because the thing is, there are some people in this world that if they have the right talent, you don't really need to give them a lot. If you just let them kind of do. And that's kind of what this feels like. Can you see the strings in this movie? To a certain extent, yes, you totally can. But it doesn't matter because you're so blown away with the level of skill that is being thrown into this movie that you just don't care. And, like, I'll say it again. If you had asked me, like, coming out of this, would I want to see the next movie by this Tsukamoto? I'd be like, yes. Yes, I absolutely do. Like, I want to know what his next movie is. I don't care if it's maybe not as good. I mean, what's-his-name did Get Out and then did Us. Was Us as good as Get Out? No, absolutely not. But... I'm still very curious to see what his next thing is he wants to say. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, that's what movies is. It's people saying something. And I think you're right. I think this movie is about sexual repression. I think it's about a lot of the things we've spoken about today. There's a lot going on with this movie. <laughs> that fight ends. And who would you say wins that fight? I would say the thing that neither of them wins that fight. What ends up happening is uh, there's this guy who's a tramp who just starts beating the shit out of the Iron Man. No, he's the guy from the video. He's the guy from the video. He's the bald old man who says, what is this? And he looks at the camera. I think he's aware of what's going on. And he's like the next victim. Because that's what Mark pointed out. He's like, I think Mark's like. Because if you look at every time the people who like get fucked over by this thing, there's a weird camera perspective of them watching. And that's, I think, Tetsuro. Yeah, so I think that's who that's supposed to be. At least that's okay. what we kind of we kind of took away from it. The two guys get fused together. They have this moment. He literally says, our love will destroy the world. <laughs> I think it's kind of a loose love. It could be their love of metal. It could be their love of each other. Who knows? But the Iron Man, I think, beats back the metal fetishist, and they turn into one large... Iron Man and they decide we are we can we can turn this whole world into rust and then they f they fuse together and then they take off and it's a fucking pulsating insane finale where you're just like that is the coolest shit I, uh, someone made that figure with their bare hands oh it's amazing the my favorite part something Mark recorded for his Instagram it's where it first cuts to because there's two faces there's one like near the bottom and it just goes, ah, I feel good. And like Mark was just like, I'm going to record this and just put the word mood. And then you get up to them, up to him. And like the metal fetishist, his face is up there. And he's like, he goes, what do we do now? He goes, now we make the whole world metal. And you're just like, oh, this is this is not good. 
make the whole world metal. We can turn this whole world into rust with dust in the universe. It's a pretty bleak and yet kind of weirdly hopeful ending. Mood, man. Yeah. Two people love each other. You become one, you know? That's true. That's very, very true. Well, (laughs) I mean... Do you want, what's your what's your favorite scene? What's my favorite? My favorite scene is, I mean that the big scene where they they have sex and then they sit down and then they get into that fight is like the centerpiece of the movie. I think it takes up the most amount of time. It's like fifteen minutes long. It's um, good too, and it's so good. It's just like really good and really well made. And I was just like, uh, that was the point where I was like, I would watch like any movie this guy makes. I think. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. What's your favorite scene? I mean, I think it's kind of that scene as well. The woman in that scene is really dialed into what she's doing. Like she like the way he lights her, like just kind of everything in that sequence. You're just like, oh, man, like this. This dude knows what he this dude knows what he wants. Like dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, there's no real loss of momentum in this movie because it never really gives you a chance to lose momentum because it's so damn short. Like it's an hour and seven minutes. I almost like was like, well, this isn't a movie. But then. By the time you finish with it, you're like, no, that movie really was a movie. Like, that told you a whole story, considering, like, how short it is. It's feature length. It's over an hour. Yeah. Like, our podcast is going to be, like, somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, 40 minutes longer than that movie. And that movie's yeah. done more. That movie did more than our podcast will Way do. Way more than our podcast. Even if we started just talking about that movie from now until then, like, we still wouldn't be able to give you as much as that movie does. No. Yeah. It's incredible first little performance. I and first, and, I mean, he's really good in it too. It's another. You did another oh. thing, where it's another double act by them. Yep, yep, yep. I also think this is an important movie to go back to Japanese cinema is that this movie was self-produced. It was produced by the director, writer, producer, editor of this film. He, you know, essentially took jobs in theater and stuff like that, and and then produced it himself. And it's important because I think this is the one of the movies that like really primes like the cult wave that would kind of help Takeshi Miike and you know the guy who made um Pulse and Ringu mm. and like all those movies that happened kind of like in the late nineties and brought on a wave of Japanese horror, which was also very beneficial to the Japanese film industry. Because they were able to sell off a lot of these the rights to those movies for big money to Hollywood producers, and were able to fund more projects. Both movies helped bring Japan kind of out of this like dark period of the film industry that was so kind of like starting to have a recession, and was able to kind of carry them into the nineties. Interesting. I... A lot of thought went into this, this pairing. You really did, actually. That's very impressive. So both of these guys kind of saved Japanese Hollywood, is what you're saying. They helped, yeah. I mean, the, the, Tsukamoto more so on like, the cult circuit and helped prime it for that. He only recently started working with the major you know, places with Kyoto Fires on the Plane, and Killing, some of his most recent films. He was kind of always like an independent director. Tokyo Fist is like a big indie. Bullet Ballet is a big indie. Gemini was kind of like a work for hire film. Hmm. So he's kind of always been on the like the the fringes of Japanese cinema. But I think this movie being such a cult sensation did get the ball rolling momentum wise for like Ringu to be kind of like a pretty substantial cult hit when it came out. 
So this then, was first through the door and took the buck shot. Kind of. So yes. Ringo could clear the room or yeah. Ringu could clear the room. Okay, fair. Ringu. I mean, that's that's really fair. This does have like right. I, mean, I haven't even seen Ringu and I know this has feels like Ringu. Yeah, I mean, Impulse and, you know, those big those big Japanese horror movies. J-horror was huge. And if I don't think without Tetsuo, it would have had the like the it's so it's kind of like Black Flag doing the rounds around America so that R.E.M. could get big. It, it laid my... the ground. It primed the pump. There you go. Yeah, I'm curious. To, you know what, though? It gives us something to look forward to next year. Cause next year we get to watch the second movie by these two. Hell yeah. And before we get to what the second movies are for next week, I guess we got to talk about what we would pair this with. And what would you pair this with? Good luck. I'd pair, I'd pair this with Videodrome. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a really good pairing. And I'm also not asking a lot of people because I think Videodrome is like two hours and like 15 minutes and this is like an hour. That's that's a pretty easy set. Not even. Videodrome's like an hour and a half. Is Videodrome an hour and a half? That movie seems so much longer to me. Oh, man, I'm getting them out of there in two and a half hours. I can do two shows of this. Video drum is 89 minutes. I'm not even doing... Man, fuck. 89 minutes. Hour and... So two hours and 36 minutes. That's two as long and, as less caution is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I give them there at the, at the, at the video box. Yeah, by Dude. the way, you have to rent two from the thing or it won't give you your credit card back. AKA, we have a guy, we have a guy named Phil... Who holds your credit card until you get us, until you take two movies? This is slapping you 26 times. Yeah, Phil, I did dress Phil this week like Takeshi Katano. Phil also loves to wear costumes. <laughs> Are we both in agreement? Is this movie is this movie five stars? This is four. Yeah, you know what? I was gonna say it's like four and a half, but yeah, it's five. This is this is a I can't stop thinking about this movie in some ways. <laughs> I was like, this movie feels like you could do it too. That's the highest compliment I can say about this movie is you know you could never do it as well as this, but this movie makes you want to go out and try to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I yeah. think is why it deserves five stars, honestly. Yeah. This movie, it feels like it was nights and weekends, is what it feels like. It feels like it was made by people who like really loved what they were doing and really just loved the art. And it just, it fucking just, it fucking goes. It does. It really, really does. Well, leads us to ask the question of next week. Next week is going to be second features, correct? It is going to be second features. And here's my question for you. Will you pick two letters from the alphabet? Any letters from the alphabet? Any any letters from the alphabet. C. Mm Mm-hmm. And S. C and S. Okay. For C, pick a number between one and three. You fucker. Two. Okay. And for S, pick a number between one and three. Three. Okay. Give me a moment. What you were doing essentially was you were picking for every one of my films based on directors that I had their second works by. And you picked C and you picked S. And next week, we are going to be looking at two movies from directors whose last names are C and S. And the first one we are going to look at is Mr. S. And that is, of course, the one and only Mr. Steven Spielberg as we look at his second movie, The Sugarland Express. Yeah! I have never seen this movie. I know nothing about it. 
it's going to give me an excuse to knock something off of my list this week. And the other film we are going to pick is a little movie from 1976, and it's by a C director, and he is no C-level director in this because I think he's working at some of his best work here with some of the most roughest and gorilla stuff after following up his first movie. We are going to look at the movie, and I you kind of planned this perfectly as the main event, the 1976 film from Mr. John Carpenter, Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, ye- fucking yeehaw, baby. Yeah, I'm excited about this. So next week, Sugarland Express and Assault on Precinct 13. What a fucking chaotic double. <laughs> Absolute chaos. What was his first movie? Spielberg? His first movie is Duel. It's a, te- it's a television movie, but I'll count it. Is that correct? Is that like that's that's There's a it goes credited dual. film before Duel. I think it's like a Columbo episode. That's no, like... it's no, it is. You're right. It is Sugarland Express. Duel is a TV movie, but yeah, I count it because you would argue Sugarland. Well, Jaws would be a second movie if you're talking theatrically, but I count Duel as a movie because it's really fucking good. And then we get to do Duel next year. So yeah, 1974's Duel. Sugarland Express and 1976's Assault on Precinct 13 by Steven Spielberg and John Carpenter, respectively. Two people who will probably find their way into Mount Rushmore as one day. I don't want to do Spielberg for a long time. Me either. That's going to be a really long one. Carpenter, I mean, want to do in October. That does mean we'll have to do Dark Star. I own Dark Star. Have you seen Dark Star? No, no, but that's not my problem right now. That's a year from now is Ben's mm. problem. I was going to say that... We'll have watched it by the time we get there because I think in October, like we actually have Mount oh, Rushmore right. that falls in October, so we'll be doing Carpenter, oh, yeah. Carpenter, which is funny because I think we've already talked about three of the four entries. Every time I think about it, I'm like, we're just gonna do the thing in the Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness again. I'm pretty sure, and then the fourth is I'm like gonna sure. is gonna be just a bloody fist fight between you and me. <laughs> I think I probably I won't. Want the ward says Tyler as he punches me in the back of the head. <laughs> never put the word on there i've never seen it so <laughs> i've I, seen parts of it it's fine it's I okay want ghosts of mars oh that sounds like a joke that i would make actually i feel like it would probably be assault on precinct 13 for me that's actually, fucking that might be true well we'll find out next week how passionate you feel about assault on um, precinct 13 as we look at second works it's so funny when you asked me to pick a pick a number I, or picked a letter i like looked up in the first book i saw was cronenberg on cronenberg and then i was like Okay, and then I looked down and I saw my second, my Samuel Beckett anthology, and so I was like, S. And then I was like, oh, S is definitely going to be Spielberg. (laughs) Do you want to know the other choices you would have had in C and S? Was Cronenberg one of them? Because I know the Cronenberg second film would have been terrible. It would have been like a weird art film. I don't have any Cronenberg in my collection. You could have had the Terminator. Actually, no, you couldn't. We've already done the Terminator. Your only other option in C, thank God I was an idiot, was Good Night and Good Luck. And for S, your other options were Boxcar Bertha or Top oh. Gun. Oh, Top Gun. Yeah. I'm taking Top Gun. Top yeah, Gun. so you could have had some real some real bullshit in there. You could have conceivably in another world where you picked where I wasn't stupid and took out the uh took out the the right amount of uh C's, you could have had good night and good luck, and you could have had Boxcar Bertha as next week. Oh. There's a dark mirror universe for you. That is a dark mirror universe. Although good night and good luck. It's good. It's got moments. It's got moments. What's so weird about George Clooney? We'll get this in before before we stop recording, so you can put this in the end of this episode. Is he's somehow gotten worse as a director? I know. You always say this. He's gone backwards. 
I mean, we didn't say it, and I can't believe you didn't bring it up. Mank won cinematography. You're so mad. For fuck's sake. Like, why? I knew he was going to win cinematography. You didn't bring it up because I was like, Mank's going to win. It's so great. I knew you were going to be so pissed when you heard that. Darkest universe. Well, guys, you can follow us next week for those two movies, and you can follow all of our antics at TWGTFpod on Twitter. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. Tyler is there. God help us. I'm terrified of this answer. Anywhere they can follow you. You can follow me into a bathroom where I'll slap you in the face 26 times. And for TWGTF, two white guys talking film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I'm a metal fetishist. And remember, guys, if you come up to our little video rental box outside of that convenience store and you see a guy dressed in a brown suit, well, that's just Phil. He's our guy who holds your credit card. And also will just kick you in the leg consistently until you do what he says. Kicking you in the leg. Talking, 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 film.
I make myself clear? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. And what is our first movie that we are going to talk about for our first episode of the third year with our first director in his first feature? Should we talk about what the theme is? Oh, there you go. Jesus Christ. Can you do it again? <laughs> no, no, it's just going to be like that. No, you got to do it again. You're not paying attention, and then you go into it with going, oh, crap, oh, well, here's your first movie. <laughs>